Welcome to Bush and Banter, hosted by me, Jennifer Mabus, and Diana Carmella. Oh gosh. You know, why can't we cheer after my name? <laughs> you know, hosted by me, Jennifer <laughs> Mabus. Ow, 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 woo, woo. I'm giving you first billing, so I get the cheer. You know. All right, fine. So I want to start off by asking you a really serious question. Do you ski? Like, do you like the snow? Are you like a snowbird? Uh, these are different questions with different answers. Totally different. I love the snow. I love snowshoeing, um, been snowboarding, but I've never skied. You've never skied before. I've, ne- I've never once put a ski on my foot in a snow. <laughs> I've water skied. God. Okay. Do you put skis on your feet? Is that what? It, is that the? Is that the technical term? <laughs> you put them on your arms and you just oh, flail hey, yourself out. I can do handstands. That that's oh actually a great idea. I'll handstand ski down a mountain. I just imagine you rolling down a mountain, and you know, like in the cartoons where like the snowball like it's bigger and bigger and bigger, and then your just little head is popping out. That's how I envision you in the snow for some weird reason. I used to ski as a kid. I've done it, and I was always. I remember I was. I was pretty fast, but I never took to it because I hate being cold. I don't like being in the snow for very long. Yes, you're an LA girl. To I'm the an core. LA girl to the core. I'm a desert girl. So um, this is a perfect segue into our guest today. Jen, who's, who are we bringing on today? We are bringing on the absolutely incredible Steph Jagger. Steph Jagger is coming to, Steph Jagger is coming onto the program and we just are talking about how we we hate being cold and we don't ski. No, I don't mind it. Oh, you don't mind you, it. All you're right. projecting right now. You don't like the cold. I don't mind it. I, I will only ski now if I can handstand ski. It's been <laughs> confirmed. So I, I need to ask you because since you've yeah. skied before. Yeah. And I've only snowboarded a few times, so I'm not really it's not uh-huh. clear my my brain what this means. What do you think about skiing 4 million vertical feet in a lifetime, we'll say? I, I can't comprehend that. In I don't a lifetime. Know what, in a lifetime, okay. I, I cannot comprehend that. I don't understand. Okay. That's not my language. Okay. So what about in one year? Uh, I can't comprehend. For me, it's like seeing a billion dollars in ones in front of me. I can't comprehend that. I can't comprehend a billion dollars. Like it's just that, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. Okay, well, Steph Jagger literally skied four million vertical feet in one year. Yes, she did, and uh, and we're the perfect people to interview her. Let me just yep. write yeah. off of that. We, we we know all the lingo. We we, <laughs> we know, know all what the she's lingo. Gone through it, it's going to be really great. It's going to be amazing. Um, Steph Jagger, she wrote two books. Her first book is called Unbound, and her second book, Everything Left to Remember. We're going to talk to her about both these books. It, it is really quite incredible what she did. She took a solo trip around the world. She went to Patagonia, Argentina, Japan, New Zealand, the United States, Canada, Italy, Switzerland. I know I'm missing some in there. She traveled around the world by herself for one year and yeah, skied 4 million vertical feet. She broke the world record for skiing vertical feet by a man or female at that time. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It it doesn't make sense to me. doesn't make any sense. But what I love about Steph And just, you know, when you read it in her books or you read her, you know, go to her website or listen to her on other podcasts, we're not just talking about the physical here. Yeah. She's not, we're we're not just talking about, you know, how is that on your body? We also go into the mental and the emotional and the spiritual aspects. And that's why I, I just look up to her so much. And that is why she's so inspiring because it's, it's not just one, 
this isn't just a physical feat. No. There's so much more to this adventure that she went on. So much more. She's so poetic with her words. She's philosophical and she's spiritual and she just really has, she is so in touch with the human spirit. I'm a little nervous to talk to her because she's on a different level than us. Uh, Well, she's on a different level than you. I feel like me and her are kind of similar. As far as coolness. When, when am I going to get the hint to just, you know, close the, the laptop <laughs> and just, just cut you kidding. off? I'm just kidding. No, please don't do that. <laughs> you miss me too much. I know. All right. I, I, I do want to say, Diana what? told me earlier that I, I drive her crazy. I'm going to dream about that. I'm still thinking of that song. It's an older song. And every time I hear it, I think of you. Um, you drive. Oh, fucking hell. I can't remember it. When I think of it. Yeah. Can you, can you guys believe this? She thinks I drive her crazy. Oh, God. All right. Hey. I think Steph just entered the green room, so we got to talk to her in a, in like a minute. I think we should tell her right off the bat, though, that we're not skiers. Uh, I don't know you how think? she's going to take that. Maybe okay. she already knows, but I think you need to be the one to tell her. <laughs> All right, I'll do the dirty work. Okay, yeah, you do the dirty work. Before we get into it, we just want to mention this episode is sponsored by Sawyer Products. We want to thank those guys. Just to recap, she's a best-selling author who has traveled the world with a pair of skis. She broke the world record for vertical feet skied in a year. And on the flip side, Jen has never skied before in her life. And I hold the world record for number of face plants in the snow. This is going to be a good time. Ladies and gentlemen, Steph Jagger. Steph Jagger, welcome to Bush and Banner. Before we start, Jen and I have to come clean about something. We're a little embarrassed to admit this, but we want you to know this up front. Jen, why don't you uh, break break the news? Diana and I know nothing about skiing. <laughs> Never done it. Between the two of us, we have about 20 vertical feet. I have and... no... Is that yours? Because I have zero. Oh, Jen has zero vertical zero feet. Zero vertical feet. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. I love it. Well, you know, I think actually that's one of the best things about Unbound is, is so many people are like, well, I'm not a skier. So like, am I going to relate? I'm like, believe me, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. That you will still understand the book and I think be able to pull a lot from it. And you're both through hikers, right? Yes. 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 So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, okay, maybe you're not, well, maybe sometimes you are sliding down things, but as a through hiker, but there's a lot of overlap, I think. There definitely is. And we're, we're going to get into that a little bit more. Um, I've snowboarded a few times and that was fun, but I definitely, definitely want to try skiing. I can't imagine you skiing. What? Your little legs like going down the thing. It's going to be great. <laughs> Steph, in this podcast, we're going to talk about both Unbound and Everything Left to Remember, your two books. I was given Unbound by a friend. I looked at it and I said, oh my gosh, it's a skiing book. I said, I don't, I don't know. Like I know nothing. And I wrote you an email after I read it and I said, or midway. And I said, I've never related to a book mm. so much. Mm. It was so amazing. And it, it, I, I tell my friend, it's a book about self-discovery, snow and sex. <laughs> 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 like what? No, but it's funny. Uh, just a little bit. But it, oh, and I, I just, I, I loved it so much. Diane is all about the sex. Well, I have some questions coming up about not that, but you know, the, the love interest. You know, when it comes to skiing, like who, 
influenced you or what influenced you? Like, where did your love from skiing come from? That I will like give credit to my parents. They've skied for a long time and their honeymoon was a year in Switzerland, like skiing, teaching, skiing, like they just, that was just so them. And so when they had all of us, I mean, they had four kids and we were all on skis at about three years old, like tucked between one of their legs. I don't know how they did it. Like when I think about having like a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old and all that equipment and all that snot and all that, <laughs> you know, tantrums and stuff. I, I just, it's, it's due to them. They, they put in quite literally like backbreaking work to have us all on skis. And uh, my mom is no longer, I'm sure we're going to get into that. My mom is no longer skiing, but uh, my dad is with the grandkids tucked between the legs, like still at it. You know, we, it's just so funny. Jen and I, we, we talk a lot about influences. You know, your your family influenced you to ski and your father was a big part of it. I know you dedicate the book to your dad and, and your husband. And you, when it comes to writing, you have such an uh, a relatable writing style and you're very real and you're raw with your writing. And again, like I said, it's very relatable. Who, when you started, when you made the decision to write Unbound, who were your writing influences? Who inspired your writing style? Oh my gosh. I'm, I am such a person, a writer, that I have to be very careful about what I'm reading and who I'm reading as I'm writing because it, it, influ- it just it influences me. You know, when I was writing um, Unbound, I was reading a lot of Liz Gilbert. I was reading a lot of Bill Bryson, who just, I think, manages to write humor, but truth, but travel stuff and funny. I just, I loved his work. Um, obviously, there's books that I allude to in Unbound. Um, Sue Monk Kidd, The Dance of the Dissident Daughter, that influenced me a lot. And, you know, the, there was like comedy writers. Like, this is when like Tina Fey was publishing memoir. And, you know, there was a lot of really hilarious female writers around the time that I was writing Unbound. And so that was a big influence. Mindy Cowling, like, you know, there was a lot of really hilarious women. And then combining that with a little bit of the spiritual or philosophical, which is maybe where like the Sue Monk kid comes in. Yeah. I'm sure there's many layers to this, but why did you specifically want to write Unbound? <laughs> I don't I don't know if I specifically wanted to write it. I think the really from from the very moment of the idea of the ski trip and that raise your restraining device sign. I mean, that was one of the, I've, I've always felt this way in my life, but that was the, one of the most tangible examples of what I would call intuition guidance. Like the path is already laid out and you just have to follow it. And when I came, when it came to writing, it, it wasn't even really me. It was, I just kept hearing it all over the place. People kept telling me I should do it. Not that I do what everybody tells me to do. I actually do quite the opposite, but it just, my intuition, it just kept knocking on the door. And I kept responding like, sorry, I don't have an MFA. I don't know how to write a book. I don't know anything about the publishing industry. Like it was like, no, no, no. Um, Until it was just a surrender, like, oh, right. Everything I learned on the ski trip was about saying yes. Like when you hear that kind of calling. And so maybe I should say yes to this. And, and that's, that's really the way much of my life has unfolded and continues to unfold is like, was that my idea and my willpower and my know-how? Like, maybe, maybe not. Right. It's more about listening for the calling and, and being able to say yes to that. I, I love that. And I relate to that so much because similarly to me wanting to through hike the Pacific Crest Trail, mm-hmm. I don't even mm-hmm. know where 
the idea got planted in my brain. I knew about it and I've, I've seen, you know, through social media, people doing these sorts of adventures, but what made me decide like this, like I'm going to go for this is it kept nagging me. Yes. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was consumed with this idea of me through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. I never met anybody who ever has done anything Uh like that. It was just a, like what you said, I was like being called or pushed or pulled or whatever to doing this. Like being haunted by an idea. (laughs) I remember, you know, I lived in downtown Seattle at the time, driving, Mm. you know, on the freeway and getting off at the exit I do you know, how many times have I, you know, gotten off the exit to go home and I completely passed my exit, just consume because I was just thinking about hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. So I love what you said. It was like, did I actually want to or was it more of just like this? I just was being called to do that. Yeah. One of the things I related to so much in the beginning of Unbound is your uh, your your decision to push away who you were as a woman and I, I want. I just wanted to read an insert. Um, I began measuring myself against my brother's successes. And then you say, I develop a masculine ideal and I put my sweet little nose to the grindstone in order to meet it. I buried everything female deep down inside and I sank my teeth into anything and everything that would make me be seen as a ram. And then you go on to say, the hardest part of this though, the part I tried my best to ignore was that somewhere deep inside of myself, I knew I didn't have what it took to become one of the women. And I relate to that so much, pushing, I grew up with two younger brothers and I had to force myself to to be seen and to be heard and, and I was competing with them. And I just wanted to know, why did you have such a hard time as a kid growing up seeing yourself as a woman? Why was that tough for you? Yeah, I think I think um, societally, as well as, you know, inside of family, uh, inside of the school systems I was in, inside of the, you know, neighborhood culture, et cetera, that I grew up in, I didn't see m- many examples of, uh, I saw a lot of examples of unbelievable women. And I wasn't seeing examples of women who I felt were living the totality of themselves and and really, really, you know, at, at this time I could use this language. I wouldn't have been able to use this language back then, but but really living from the fullness of the divine feminine. There was a lot of their own femininity and their own divine feminine that I think was um, held back, was not allowed, was not valued, etc. And so when I, I think I just, all I sensed was like, there's something missing. There's, there's an expression of themselves that I feel like is missing. And if what I'm seeing is the totality of what it means to be a woman, like I can't fit in that box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt I'd fail. I felt like I, I, it would be stifling to me. I feel there, there's a whole bunch of different reasons, but I, I think the main thing is that I, I, men and women, I mean, we, we all, and this, this then goes into the second book. I mean, we all have been in many ways, like cut off from the totality of who we are, from the wholeness of who we are. And so I think I was really only seeing a sliver of, of what womanhood, the divine feminine, the wholeness of the expression of that is. And I I just knew I couldn't fit in that box. And so when I looked at the masculine, I was also seeing a compartmentalized, fragmented masculine 
but it held more power. It held more, it held more clout. It held more freedom. Uh, and, and those are now things that I'm examining, like, does it, you know, does, does it hold more power? Does it hold more, you know, and, and really moving to kind of go, okay, what is the wholeness of the masculine? What is the wholeness of the feminine? And how do we live from a place where both of those are integrated? So that that's, that's a long and windy answer, but um, I just knew I couldn't fit in the box that I was, I was seeing as an example. You, you say in your book too, um, the message of my generation was to dream big. Um, I think, you know, we're, I, yeah. I don't know how old you are, but I feel like we're around the same age and I feel like our generation. Yeah. It was the first time my mother said like, you can be whatever you want to be, but yet I was seeing the life she was living and it was like, huh, is this, is this how you, you know, you say that it was this everything you wanted to be exactly. And I, so when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's how I felt like that's so in my mind, my idea of dreaming big is owning a house and keeping it tidy and doing this. Cause that's what I see my mother doing. And, yeah. but really, so I think that's why I gravitated towards the, the men and sports and, and proving myself. Yeah. The men. Yeah. yeah. I, I think this is like very common, you know, in like women our age, uh, Steph, I listened to the podcast you were on with Leanne Rhymes, which is really wonderful, but you both also touched on this topic of, and, you know, she also agreed with those feelings of, yeah, like wanting to sometimes push down the feminine and grasp for the masculine. And, um, you know, you were also talking about with, you know, Leanne about almost at times devaluing your mother because of the role she played. And so you look to your father and that's just interesting because it kind of, Diana goes to what you were just saying about like, is this really what you wanted a house and maybe some kids and you just cooked and cleaned? Is that, is that your dream? Which it may be for some people, but Mm -hmm. for, I mean, at least us in this, you know, podcast right now, us women, we've all gone on these like big adventures that I never knew women were possible. Yeah. Or I I, did, I never knew women could do something like that. Because mm-hmm. I, I never saw that growing up. That's not what um, I really saw of what like a, a, a woman in her 30s right. or whatever could right. be yeah. doing. I, t- yeah. I told my grandmother, I was like, grandmother, uh, or I didn't call her Grammy. Um, I'm going to go uh, hike from uh, across Montana, Idaho and Washington. She's like, huh? And she's like, she was like 90 and she's like, what, what? And I, she didn't understand the concept of that. Like to her, yeah. no, you know, and, and still to the, the day I left, I, my mother was like, I don't know why, why you're doing this, why you have to do this. Yeah, it, People can't grasp the idea sometimes. It's like easier to understand if it's some like yeah. burly man, but some like yeah. blonde chick or, you know, you know. beautiful right. women just wanted to go do these things. Yeah. It just... And I think a lot of uh, people can relate to that. And even men could probably relate to, you know, wanting to pull some feminine, you know, energy into them and, you know, this idea we have. Absolutely. I mean, whether it's spoken about or not, you know, the limitations of, of, you know, if if I think about um, my family as an example, as an anecdotal example, you know, emotions were not, you know, openly talked about, were not openly demonstrated in a lot of ways. And if that, if, if as a woman, my work right now is to like reclaim that and, and how that was inaccessible to me, it's probably doubly or triply so for the men in my family. And I, I agree with that with my, yeah, with the men in my life. Yeah. But okay. I, I want to get onto this skiing. We're very interested in the skiing because we don't understand it. <laughs> I find it incredible. Okay. So you set off on a quest to ski 4 million vertical feet in one year. Yeah. 
not like in a lifetime or, you know, 400,000, 4 million vertical feet in one year. Um, you mentioned having a goal made the whole thing seem a little less crazy. And why did you pick that goal of 4 million vertical feet in one year? Yeah, that was that was like my logical brain being like, all right, let's do some math. Like, what do I what do I uh, normally ski in a weekend? Like my dad at some point in my teens, I think he got an altimeter, which like measures the vertical feet you're skiing as you're skiing it. And, and nowadays it's really common for people to wear that kind of tracking device. But back then, like that was like, you've got an atmospheric instrument. <laughs> like You're nerdy. <laughs> I remember, I remember us like talking about that a lot. And, and, and I, I just looked at like the number, you know, what was the average amount I would ski in like, you know, a challenging weekend. And if I was to consider this my full-time job and do this five days a week for, for, you know, however months, however many, you know, skiing months there were in the year, you know, what, what was the math on that? You didn't know the world record was around that. You had no idea. I had no idea. I had no idea. So I just calculated it out and I was like, oh, 4 million. That sounds like a challenge. Like if I'm a weekend hiker and I can go out and hike 10 miles on a Saturday, you know, what would it be if I thought about that as kind of my full-time job, um, you know, with the right amount of like athletic rest and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it was, it was math and I had no idea if there was records, if there, I just didn't even think about that. For, for people who like me and Jen, who can't really understand 4 million vertical feet, yeah, that, yeah. you say in your book, uh, it's the equivalent of skiing Everest like 135 times. Yeah. It's about the equivalent of skiing Everest about 135 times. I think at the end, at the end of the day, when the trip was all done, it was about Everest, you know, from the summit to sea level, not just base camp. Mm-hmm. Imagine skiing Everest from the summit to sea level 150, 160 times. Jen, we could do that. Come on. If we put our mind to it, I think the two of us together in a lifetime might be able to. Oh my gosh, I'm literally going to die. When I was reading your book, one thing that really, besides the the goal of skiing, you had some incredible characters in your book, people that you met <laughs> along the way. And yeah, um, I'm just going to be really honest with you. Um, so you're, I, th- I believe it was Argentina. I have it in my notes. You, in, in Argentina, mm-hmm. you meet a guy named Chris. Mm-hmm. You, you get to know Chris and he has a nonprofit. And there's this yeah. scene where you're driving with him and you don't know where he's taking you. You end up at a, um, a what, it was like a log cabins or something by a river, a lake. Like a series of, of these beautiful kind of like eco lodges by, by this gorgeous lake. Yeah. yeah. And so to this day, I, I don't know who this person looks like. Chris, I don't know what he looks like. And when we read <laughs> books, we imagine these characters in our head. And so I'm reading uh-huh. this book and I'm thinking this, this Chris character, it looks, I'm really into a Pedro Pascal right now. Um, he, okay. I don't know who that is, but okay. The, yeah. Yeah, the Mandalorian. He's just in, um, the last of us, uh, on Netflix Okay, and he's really cute. And so I am imagining Pedro Pascal in this role. And so the whole thing with you guys, and then all of a sudden you guys, you guys get to this, this crazy spot. You don't know what's going on. He ends up knowing the people and then you guys take the kayaks out and he's really cute and you know what's going on. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm so into this story. And it totally has me. Right. And then, and then not, I don't want to give anything away because I want people to go and read it, but you guys end up having to share a room and it's weird and uncomfortable, but, eh. and I'm like getting to that part where you're like, Oh my God, we have to share a room. And then my mom calls and I pick up the phone. I'm like, what do you want? 
and she's like she's like are you busy i'm like yes i'm busy and then i like i have to go i have to finish this chapter and uh-huh. i was so drawn to your connection with him and yeah. you know he goes on to play a big a big role and um and then at the end of the book when i finished her book you didn't mention him and i was literally like diana's doing a shaking motion i was like <laughs> Looking for his name to drop out of the book. Where is Chris? And then you uh-huh. do mention him in the epilogue at the end. We do get to hear uh-huh. from him again. But I, I really loved his character and what he did mm-hmm. for you. Can you oh, can yeah. you talk a oh, little yeah. bit about him uh, and what, what he did for you in the beginning of that trip? Because, yeah, he just played such a big role. You know, the biggest thing that he did for me, I'll say two things. Number one, you know, when I, when I eventually got to, so I left Argentina, I left where he was and I went to New Zealand and, and in New Zealand, I, I hit, um, a lot of like inside of what, what would be called the hero's journey of storytelling. Like it was a bit of the dark, dark night of the soul, a bit of the belly of the whale. Like I hit a lot of roadblocks and I started to kind of question, you know, what am I like, what am I doing? Like, okay. Skiing. Yes. Record. Yes. But like, there's a lot of me like in my masculine energy trying to like puff up and prove myself. And like, is this really what this is all about? And so there's this, there's this kind of like begins to be a bit of the death of the ego. Right. And I think one of the things that he did for me at that time, you know, he sent me, I I was staying with a friend in, in New Zealand when I arrived, they were like, uh, this like giant box came for you from this guy named Chris. And I'm like, Oh, interesting. And he had sent me, books and like uh uh, at that time we were still I still had like a cd player you know and um for the kids out there that's a compact disc yeah for Um, all you children out there (laughs) inside of that was work by joseph campbell inside of that was work of you know sumant kid that's the dance of the dissident dog like like a man gave me and was like this is my favorite book and it's about like finding the divine feminine you're like what so I think at that time and, and he sent it with a note saying you know I think I think this is about something more than you think it is. And I think these books might help. And him kind of being that Yoda, you know, that points you in a different, a little bit of a different direction was extraordinarily helpful at that time. I think the other thing that, that Chris did for me on that journey was to, by pointing that stuff out, like kind of challenge or ask me to stand in a larger self inside of a larger degree of integrity or authenticity um, or to look into like a deeper looking pool for a reflection of self. And those kind of people are invaluable, you know, to, to not to say like you're in this box and you should be looking bigger than this box. I feel like sometimes women who, you know, are chasing big dreams and are very masculine, especially growing up. Sometimes it takes a guy to come into your life to make you feel feminine again. Absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, that, you know, everybody carries masculine and feminine energy. And I do happen to be a person who carries like a steady grounded, you know, a lot of people would describe as like, that's a masculine energy. Chris happened to carry like an, like a, a lot of that feminine energy. So it was actually an interesting mix to be like, oh, here's a man who carries quite a bit of like quite elegantly, like a feminine energy as well as masculinity He's hard charging in the mountains. He does, you know, there's a whole bunch of other stuff, but that was, I think I needed, at that point in my life, I had kind of devalued the feminine so much that I needed the message to come from a man. Yeah. 
yeah, you're talking about like the other men in your life were, you know, you were, you were trying to feed off their like masculine energy. So yeah, that probably did need to come from a man, that more feminine side. And yeah. like, it's okay. It's okay. And it's good. Like, not only is it okay, it's, it's a beautiful thing to tap into this feminine energy. Yeah. I loved the two of you. I was really just rooting for you. And I, I was like, oh, I hope, I hope she ends up with them. I was really the whole way. It just, um, and Jen had something similar happen, um, on Pacific Crest Trail where she met, she met a boy before that she got to, that she talked with. Uh, Can I tell her that you're married? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I wound up marrying him, but you know, I met him, you know, a few months before I was, you know, going on my big adventure and, um, I never thought I was going to talk to him again, but we just, we wound up just connecting like as friends. I mean, there was like a romantic side to it, but we weren't labeled as anything. And we wound up just like falling in love, you know, via phone. But while I was on my adventure and yeah, I mean, I wound up marrying him. We have a child together, you know, so it it worked out great. But I think it was really unique to share those experiences with him when I was in the the middle of my huge like uh, self exploration and my it's an initiation yes and and I felt like the most me Mm. you know like I felt the most um yeah like who I was meant to be than I ever have in my life but without the the hair and the makeup done and the cute clothes and he he saw me for just who truly who I was and so that was a really beautiful thing to have my relationship start in the midst of that adventure. What I love too about the two of you is that you guys meet these men, but it didn't derail you from your goal. And, mm-hmm. you know, Steph, I loved like you and Chris get together and then you separate, get together and then you separate. And you just like, I'm sorry, I got to go do this thing. Like, I know, you know, you're here and we like each other, but I, I have to finish this. And you never de- got derailed. You, you always knew what you wanted to do. I mean, you too, Jen, you know, and I love that. That's, I think that was an important component. I kind of, I remember that in Argentina when we separated and I, I know like f- people feedback from the book is like, what you didn't like go with him. Yeah. And I just, I remember thinking at the time, if this guy is going to be around, if we're supposed to have a relationship or whatever, if I end this for him and we don't work out, I'm going to be pissed off. Oh Yeah. If we get together and it doesn't work out, like this is, or, th- or that it does work out, this is always something I can hold as a resentment toward him. And I'm like, that's not fair yeah. to him or to me, you know? So I, it just was really important that I continued with my journey and to see that through to the end, which, which I felt like if we were supposed to be together would allow for a clear runway to do that. Yeah. I love that. I agree. And you know, going back to maybe what we've seen um, a lot of, of like our mothers doing is, yeah, finding the man and settling down. And that, yeah, some people in my life and maybe your life and people listening to this maybe can't understand that fully. But what we're saying here is that wasn't our big dream. Yeah. I, I wanted multiple things. I wanted the man, but I also wanted these adventures. And, um, you know, there's layers to all of this. There's depth. It wasn't as simple as, you know, just, I want to be married and exactly. And and I never wanted to be in a relationship where I had kind of an excuse to be like, well, I I didn't do that big thing because, because we got married, because we, because I followed him, because I just, that was, it was just so important to me to see that, to see that through.
We all know Sawyer Products as one of the outdoor market's leading compact water filtration systems. Yet most outdoor enthusiasts are unaware they make their own permethrin fabric treatment that helps shield you from pests such as mosquitoes, ticks, and fleas. Sawyer created a pharmaceutical grade formula that's 100% odorless and can be applied to all your outdoor clothing, footwear, hammocks, chairs, tents, sleeping bags, and yes, even backpacks, just to name a few. When it comes to your furry friends, make sure the treatment has dried before bringing it near your cats. Yet, it's safe enough to spray directly on your dog to give them extra protection from pests that are looking to damper your outdoor adventures. For more information on Sawyer's permethrin fabric treatments, check their website at sawyer.com and follow them on social media at Sawyer Products. Moving on a little bit. In the chapter, The End of the Earth, you're in Argentina at this point, and you have skied 500,000 vertical feet. So you had a moment on top of a mountain, and you wrote, I felt like the most powerful version of myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you said, you don't have to be a skier to potentially relate to this. As through hikers, we know this feeling. But what was it about that moment that made you feel so powerful? Yeah, I I think at the time... I would have said I'd harnessed a lot of things. You know, I had harnessed a physical potential. I had committed to something. I had, you know, utilized my willpower to haul up a mountain. I had, I just, you know, there was a lot of like kind of physicality that. And, 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 you know, the mental and emotional endurance to, to, to say yes to a journey like that, et cetera. So I I think I would have, um, talked about it like that then that I would, I would have felt like, oh, I feel like my most powerful version because, I felt very in control and like I'd harnessed a lot of myself to get to a particular place. I think if I answer that today, I would answer it differently. I I would say in, in that kind of moment, I've had many since then. And what makes it feel like, oh my gosh, this is the most powerful version of me. I feel like is the amount of my aliveness, the amount of, of me, the totality of me, all of my bodies, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, energetically, et cetera, are in the same place at the same time. And feeling the amount of that kind of aliveness moving through my body is, is an extraordinary feeling. And it is a very powerful, it is a very, um, like you are tiny in comparison to the mountain. You are here, but there you are alone, but you feel connected to everything. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not dissimilar to a flow state. It's, it's a little bit more static than that, but uh-huh. that's how I would answer that now is, is like, I was brimming with the totality of my aliveness and it really, it, it actually involves kind of a lack of control, like a surrendering to get to a place like that. Whereas I think the younger version of me would have described it more as a harnessing of, uh, of my ability to kind of control things to get to a place. And, and I think that. Um, that, that speaks to a very kind of, um, you know, archetypal maiden sense of power, which is important for us to feel, uh, our ability to kind of harness things and, and perhaps an archetypal, you know, mother or autumn queen, a, a person who's moving along in their evolution. That's like, Oh, it's actually about surrender and, and just being able to feel your own aliveness. Like that's when we talk about the feeling of like enoughness, you know, that's the definition of enoughness I can feel all of my aliveness moving through me dang yeah on the PNT there's a section called lion's head where you have to it's a bushwhack you have to bushwhack for like Mm. six miles there's like no trail and I fell in a ditch and I thought I broke my legs 
and I was just laying there for 20 mm. minutes and then this little beetle comes up and crawls in and and I was staring at this little beetle on the ground like while I'm laying on the ground and my mind told my body to get up but my body couldn't get up mm. but my mind is like no you got to do it you got to get up and I realized that uh, you know I had such a disconnect between my mind and my body for years and in that moment I realized they have to work together and they have to, they have to team up, you know, there was such, so when I was reading your book and you were, you were talking about the most powerful you ever felt, you know, on that mountain, I really related back to that experience where as soon as I realized my mind and my body have to be in sync and work together, I just felt like unstoppable. Like it just made sense. Like why, why could, why did it take yeah. me in a ditch thinking I broke like half my body to, to realize that? So yeah, when you were on top of the mountain, you said you felt the most powerful. It's like, I don't know exactly what that feels like, even though you were skiing and I know nothing about skiing. It's like, I know that feeling, that yeah, feeling yeah. of like, you can do anything, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I've come to believe, you know, all wellness is being right with time. And what I mean by that is that all of our bodies, mental, physical, emotional, somatic, energetic, and spiritual are in the same place at the same time. Yeah. Now, I think this is actually one of the reasons that that athleticism and adventuring is such a powerful thing for women because we have been, you know, systematically removed from our bodies culturally through violence, through just everything, right? Like we do not have ownership over. So oftentimes as a young woman, not necessarily as we've evolved, but as a young woman, I think what we see is two choices about how to reclaim our body. We either own it, really distinctly in a kind of sexualized way or we we say like oh it, it could function like like the men and we could go out and and accomplish things like the men now either of those paths are are great but as a young woman I think I saw that and I was like okay I'm gonna go out and use my body and, and what that if if I kept going down that path eventually you hit this point where like we're exactly like what you had like oh I've got to make these things a team now but the early athleticism for me was so important to understand how to actually feel my own body, how to occupy it, how to find joy in it, how to allow it to take me places and, you know, all of these different things. And then there came a point where I was like, oh, I got to now put these things on the same team. Yeah. For me, it was such a gift that athleticism and adventuring as a young woman and, and, and eventually, as I said, I think we get to a point where we kind of go like, oh, now my, now I know my body. I live in my body. I know when it's tired. I know when it's hungry. I know when it needs to move. I know it. But if I live just in that totality or in that place in my body and my mind is in the future and it's worrying and my emotions are in the past and they're, you know, reliving experiences or being triggered by experiences. I'm still not experiencing the, the wholeness of my aliveness and the totality of self. And so I've got to work to bring all of those, all of those bodies together. But that athleticism is a fantastic entryway back in to our bodies for a lot of women that, that, that we've just been over the years, over centuries, just, we don't have ownership over our bodies. So it's a, it's a, I'm I'm so grateful for that as a young woman. Yeah, and I think uh Jen with us going on our through hikes or uh Steph you, you know, going out to ski around the world when it's over, you feel like a different person. I had to relearn who I was and what I was capable of because I had moved the bar so far 
And it just, yeah, it just felt like you were reborn in a way. I think you, you talk about that, you know, and, and, um, but it, it comes from, I think a lot of hardship. This is one of the questions that I really was really interested in knowing and hearing from you. Yeah. New Zealand really kicked, kicked your ass. <laughs> and I love those chapters. I mean, I just hearing, you know, when you're just like, you know, in parking lots and I, I love the scene where you're just like stomping through the snow because in New Zealand, like some of the, uh, the, the, <laughs> the runs you have to like hike to and they're, they're not like run by big companies. You have to like, and I loved that. Um, you know, there's a lot of people in the world going through hardships and you really looked at hardship as being something that you really, really grew from when you made it to Bali, you suddenly felt a shift and you felt your life sort of changing. Mm -hmm. And how do you think, you know, after the hardship of New Zealand, how do you think people should look at hardship as a recourse rather than a punishment? Well, I, I think I'd answer it this way. Will I let this hardship um, move me into a softer and more fluid place in my humanity? Or will I allow this hardship to um, constrict or harden or separate me from something, whether that's a part of myself or other people, etc.? And I think that is a quintessential choice. It's not easy. And depending on the hardship, it can be even less easy. <laughs> but I think that's a that's a question we that's handy for all of us to have in our pocket, you know, m maybe maybe not to look at and lock eyes with, you know, in the midst of the hardship. Yeah. But when we are recovering from hardship, from trauma, from grief, from betrayal, from, you know, many, many things in life from loss, uh, I think that's a that's a distinct question of will that will I allow this to soften me or how can I allow this to soften me or will I allow this to harden me and, and cut me off from things? Uh, that's a critical question. I love that. Yeah. And it can, yeah, it can go either to, uh, you know, one of two ways. And for me, it's easier for me to harden. Like that's my like natural response is just to like, you know, toughen it up, push it down and move on with life. But that's not that's not very healthy. <laughs> and that's, you know, as you said, like, that's not only like the easiest response, like that is in many, many ways, like the functionality of, of our nervous system and what we've been like, kind of exposed into doing. Um, and so it takes a lot of consciousness, it takes a lot of choice, uh -huh. it takes a lot of therapy, it takes a lot of it, 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 it takes a ton. A to ton of work. Of yeah, you have to work at it. <laughs> I'm also not like, you know, there's things in my life that I'm like, yeah, that's going to harden me up. Yeah. yeah yep. <laughs> there's this balance of, you know, I just don't want to be flying defense systems up, you know, at, at all times. But defense systems are also there for a reason mm -hmm. and sometimes very helpful, right? So there is a balance in that. But overall, I think that's what that experience in New Zealand kind of made me, you know, I could, I could, I could bear down more and I could hold or tighten or brace or put my nine, my nose to the grindstone harder, or I can look up, pause, look around, take a deep breath, soften and go, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. And am I going down the right path? Or is there something else that I'm not seeing? or that I don't know, or that I don't even feel like I have the imaginative capabilities to think of right now. And, and like, God bless endurance sports uh, for, for this, you know, I think that's an important question to ask. Like if you're, you know, three quarters of the way through the race, do I keep going? Do I keep pushing? 
Or, you know, what is my knee telling me? Is it telling me to stop? Is it telling me I got to tap out? Like we, we have to uh, have those moments of reckoning. Yeah. And I think that becomes really key um, through like, I guess for me growing older and maturing is knowing myself better. Yeah, I yeah. think it's um, if, if you don't know yourself very well, you're not going to know when you actually need to stop. Um, you know, I, I've been very stubborn before and I've made some really poor choices that have really affected me. She's very stubborn, very stubborn. Oh, you know, my, my husband would agree. <laughs> but, you know, stubborn people get things done sometimes. So, you know, <laughs> Jen doesn't like anybody wasting her time like this is. <laughs> yeah, no, I, mean, I mean, this is that's that's the, the point for me is like. If I keep going, am I going to have to brace myself in some way, mentally, emotionally, physically, et cetera? And is that okay with me? And like, do I know the consequences of that? Mm. Yeah, it's all about, you know, you just, you, I'm just constantly like calculating in my brain, you know, what can happen? Can I handle the consequences? Right. Um, like sometimes, the, sometimes the answer is yes. Like, you know, exactly. you know you're, you're a mom, you've been through labor, I'm assuming. Like yes. sometimes the answer is like, yes, brace and keep going. Yeah. You just have to push through. And you know the consequences yeah. and you know what might get created and you know that, that, that you're going to have to take some path to recovery from that. And I think that's just a conscious as opposed to an unconscious, like continuous overriding of self that, mm. that, that I think I was in, in the early stages. And I think New Zealand allowed enough of an ass kicking for me to pause and go like, okay, like I need to look around here. I think everybody at some point should kick their own ass, like really put yourself in a situation where you really, you know, you've got to think, you know, and you have to, uh, yeah, you gotta, gotta get a beat down. And I think through hikers like Jen got a huge beat down, but it's like, she's look at her now. She's vibrant and beautiful. She's a totally different person than when she started. Oh, please, Diana. Always has to like get one in. <laughs> so, Steph, you have um, this incredible quote in the chapter called The Lowly Worm Goes Skiing. I love your chapter is- names, by the way. All your chapter names. I was just yeah. like, oh, this is so brilliant. Fangirling. So the quote reads, under the crust of it all, I saw a lesson, an understanding that starting over, that being reborn as a whole new person was going to require death, a deep a burial deep in the snow. I finally understood that it was going to require letting go. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to this and you know maybe give some advice to anyone listening who is struggling to redefine themselves? I would talk about this maybe from a um, landscape of like mythological initiation. So there's a master initiation in life called life, death, life. And we all know this This is everywhere, right? And this can be literal and this could be metaphorical. And if you're looking at it metaphorically, the easiest example in our life is the seasons, right? Like the flowers bloom, they release a scent, they release a fruit, they begin to wither, they die, they compost, they come back. This is life, death, life. So we we have this inside of our human experience as well, again, literally or metaphorically, but in, especially in the Western world, death is just, it's so misunderstood and it's so feared. And we've done a lot of work over this through, through the last three years, obviously with COVID. I think it's been a real reckoning. But overall, we, we are very scared of the, of the death part of that um, cycle. And we do a lot to push that off and to not look at it. 
because we think in doing that, it's going to extend the living. Mm -hmm. What that actually does is it suspends the initiation and it turns into a living death. And that is when we get into nobody around me is awake. Everyone's a zombie. Everyone's numbing out. Everyone's lost their consciousness. Uh, nobody has any energy anymore. Uh, we're all burnt out, you know, all of this stuff. And so I think we have to ask ourselves inside of those moments when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we're burnt out, when we're um, getting mad at everybody around us, when we're at the end of our rope, when, you know, and if that is a prolonged state of living, not just a week, not just a month, not just a season, but like, oh, fuck, I've been in this for like months, if not years at this point, this numbness, this distraction, this I'm, I'm, I'm not anymore looking for aliveness in my life. I'm just looking for entertainment or distraction. Then, then that's a surefire sign that we've, we've pushed off the death part of that. And I think in order to shift that back to the real living, which comes afterwards, we have to pause and go, what, what, what is dying or what has died that I need to honor, that I need to look at, that I need to lock eyes with, that I need to grieve, bury, let go of, um, celebrate, you know, all of these things in order for there to be like the composting and digestion and, and, and the space, enough spaciousness allowed for new creation to come. And so that's a, that's a very kind of like a philosophical way of, of talking about all of that. But I think, you know, in that moment for me, there was just so much ego around what is, what is it that I have utilized in my life to define power, a sense of personal power and empowerment, not necessarily power over. That wasn't, that wasn't intellectually what I was going for. Although the way I saw the masculine and feminine there, there inherently was a power over. But I think for me in that moment, there was a real sense of the things that I thought would make me or allow me to feel powerful or empowered. And that the way my ego is attached to that, that, that attachment has to die. And I have to, I have to say like that, I have to say, thank you. It brought me to that place and it propelled me in some way. And I have to honor it and I have to say thank you to it. And then, and then if I, if I let it go, I have to then go through a period of like suspension almost, which is terrifying. Um, in order to get to a place of like, Oh my God, there's so many other things to be tethered to power look like this and that and this, you know, so I, I think that's, that's probably the way I would, would offer an answer to that. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, somebody told me on the PNT, I met this girl, her name was Batgirl. Um, she said, you must allow to die what wants to die and you must allow to live what wants to live. And we hold on sometimes to things that are already gone and it causes a lot of depression. And when you feel, and it could be anything, it could be a relationship, it could be an idea, it could be anything, but you have to let go of things that want to be, that want to die. And, but sometimes it's hard to uh, tell the difference. <laughs> That's a very Clarissa Pinkola Estes, women who run with the wolves, you know, a wise woman knows when, when, to let the die, the dying die. Oh, I, that's one of my favorite books. Yeah, she. Uh, don't don't quote me directly. I don't know if that's the exact quote, but that's, that's the idea of it. <laughs> she also said, talked a lot, a lot about the worthy. About the wilderness will pick who's worthy. A lot of worth, but oh, she's a freaking brilliant writer. Oh my gosh, I that one of my favorite books. Um, 
Uh, Jen, I want to move on to everything left to remember. Yeah, let's do it. But I'm actually, I'm, I'm really curious. I want to ask one more question about Unbound because I, I want to know this answer. Out of your, um, your whole trip, you traveled the world. I want to know the greatest mountain that you skied. Oh my gosh, Literally yeah. went around the world, skied the world. What was your favorite mountain? You know, some of it has to do with like, you know, the, the, the people or the weather conditions or whatever, when I was there, of course. Yeah. But, but you know, I, so much of this started, I, I, you know, I grew up skiing black home Whistler and, and so much of this started at that mountain. And, and I, you know, I go back to that mountain still to this day and, and it is, it is unbelievable. The amount of terrain, the accessibility, it, the, the village it's, it's, it really is one of the best mountains in the world. Um, I'd probably add to that list, um, you know, the, the, the weather conditions I had when I was in Jackson Hole were, were unbelievable. So that was, that was a really fun time. Um, skiing in Japan, anywhere in Japan as a highlight. Chamonix for me, I had horrible conditions, but I had a really spiritual experience there. And those, those mountains are, they're like, holy, it's, it's, it that so I'll I'll say that I could like list every single one of them, but th- those I'll leave you with those ones. <laughs> so Diana, wh- which mountain are we going to start we're with? Going baby, Whistler, Jackson Hole. I mean, we're going. I'm going to do a lot of tumbling. Which one do I want to tumble down? I'm just going to ride on your shoulders. Yeah. I'm going to ride on your shoulders the whole way there. I'm just going to bring a whip too. Let's go. I feel like if you guys go skiing right now, go, go to Black Home Whistler. The, the, the U.S. dollar is extraordinarily strong. There is a green run that will take you from the very top of that mountain and snake all the way around to the bottom in a very gentle, cruisy way. They've got everything up there. It's like, remember Stefan from Saturday Night Live? Who was yes. Like, like, he would like really get into it with Whistler. Like, they've got everything. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Uh, Diana, we're, we're going to video the whole thing. It's going to be great. Like we're inspired by Steph Jagger made us yeah, do it. Shout out. <laughs> shout out. Um, okay. I want to move on to everything left to remember. Uh, like I said, I, I read these books back to back and I can see the, the similarities. Mm. Um, this book I thought was so incredible. It really made me look at my own relationship with my mother. Yeah. And for the listeners who are not familiar with the book, I was going to say what the book's about, but why would I do that when I have you right here? Um, for the listeners, this is your new book. Give us a little bit of what this book is about. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, shortly after the ski trip, um, my mom was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. About 11 months after that, uh, her and I went on a road trip um, through a handful of different national parks in the West, Rocky Mountains West. Uh, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, et cetera. You know, the backbone of the book is really that that journey, that physical journey that we took and the camping and the horseback riding and all the, you know, nature, the time in nature that we spent together. Um, but, but really that was, you know, if Unbound was my archetypal maiden voyage, then then everything left to remember was my, you know, initiation into archetypal mother and and really examining what is mother and what do we need from from that energy and and the examination of the relationship between my mother and the divine feminine between me and the divine feminine and between me and my mother and of course mother nature it plays a gargantuan role it's like another character almost in that book it's a mother-daughter love story is what it is 
I don't know your mom. I've never met her, but I love her character yeah. in this book. And she how really she, comes for the, yeah. from the littlest things about when you guys eat and she's like, oh, yummy in my tummy. And <laughs> I just, and that's and, what I say to my child. It's great, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, um, and how she kept asking you the same questions over and over. And I remember there was a scene where you guys needed gas and you're running out of gas. And she's like, well, let me help you. And she pulled out a map and the map wasn't right, but she mm -hmm. wanted to help. Oh, and yeah. it reminded me of my mother so much. Why did you want to go on this trip? What was the reasoning why you wanted to take your mom on this camping trip? It's the same thing, you know, this, this pattern in my life of, I had just been on a ski trip in Montana and I got back. I literally like dropped my bags at the door. I went and was like, you know, I'm going to go have a shower in the shower. I just got hit with like, you're supposed to go back. And I, I kept, you know, I just kept hearing about a yellow, a yellow I was like, okay, you have to go back. And I kept hearing yellow stone, like separately. And then finally I put it together. I was like, Yellowstone, let's go back to Yellowstone. I was just like, my bags are in the front door. I was just there. And it just kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to take my mom. I, it just, it's like a bolt out of the blue. I feel guided. And, and, and at that point, you know, she had been diagnosed a year prior to that or not even. That was actually really shortly after. And, and I, it just was obvious. It, it was both obvious in I have to do this and not obvious in I don't exactly know why. I, I love that message because it, it, this goes for anything in life. But I think so many people want definite answers. It's like we want someone to tell us yes or no or else we're not doing it. But sometimes just that feeling and that pull is enough. And it should be enough. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. Yes. If you start questioning things or thinking too much about it, you it's so easy to derail yourself from, you know, doing following certain dreams or passions or trips or you know whatever it is. And so I love that message again. What we're talking about, it just it popped into your head, and that that was it. I, I get all these random ideas all the time, and my husband is like, "What is going on inside of your brain? I, like, why are you just randomly thinking about?" this and that. And I, I, I tell him I can't explain it. It just, I get these like quick visions in my head. And then I'm, I become like, I don't want to say obsessed, but I become like, I, I need, I need to follow this. Yes. I need to follow this. And, and, and then when you follow it, then you ask again, okay, what from here? Like you don't have to know the whole thing right at the get. Right. So, so that was what compelled me to, to do the trip. And then, you know, when I, when I reached out, it was just really good timing you know, my dad had planned a trip for himself to go on this golf trip. And I phoned and I was like, should we do it then? And he just, I think it was right at the stage of her progression that he was really nervous about leaving her for two weeks on her own. And it just was like one of those things that's like click, 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 click. Everything worked with ease. And so off we went. And I, I didn't plan on writing a book. I was just like, great, you know. I'm going to get to spend time with my mom. There's going to be, I did have a feeling that she was at a stage in her progression where she would have a little bit less of a filter. She had most of her memory still intact, but her like social filters weren't. So I kind of felt like, oh, I might be able to hear more stories. Mm -hmm. I might be able to understand more of her in this window of, of this journey. And I, I really wanted to, excavate that if I had the opportunity to. I had no intention of writing a book about it. And then on the plane home, 
I found myself, she was coloring beside me on the, on the plane. And I found myself like madly taking notes in my phone, in my app, a uh, notes app on my phone. And I thought, oh, fuck. <laughs> this is, I'm going to write this about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you hope people take away after reading this book? This is one of those really, really tricky things that I think in some ways, I don't want to answer what I hope people will take away. Because if I'm truly standing in what I would think of as like the divine archetypal mother energy, it is one of offering a person to go on their own journey and to not overlay my hopes, my opinions, my thoughts, my vision for them on top of it. Yeah. That's one way I could answer that is in saying, I don't want to answer it. I, I love that. I think that's great. Yeah. 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 There, there's, a, there's a second component that, that I think inside of that answer is, is a kind of tucked wish of, I hope they get to go on their own journey with it. And I hope some component of that book helps them feel mothered through that journey or held through that journey. And outside of that, I can't, it would be like saying to a child, like, I'd like you to go to Princeton. I'd like you to get a good education out of it. I'd like you to, it's like, those are my hopes and dreams. And, and I, this, that's not, I'm not living your life. You are living your life. And mm. you're, you're such a, a beautiful writer. Like, you know, you you just help me, like, even when you speak, help me name feelings that I was experiencing in a completely different situa- situation. And I think, I think that's um, really beautiful. Yeah. Mm. You can put things into words that we can't put into words. <laughs> like, or me, I have a hard time expressing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, I mean, I, you know, that's, that's, I had to do that with my mother. You like, you alluded to that. Like she, she was a woman who didn't have a lot of words. And so before I used to be frustrated with that as a young, as a young one, now I'm like, oh my gosh, that was a gift because what that taught me was a, was a skill of translation, Mm -hmm. reading energy and being able to then translate that into words that, that I don't think I'd have without her. I I think a, a big thing too, and what I walked away with, you know, my grandmother passed away a year and a half ago and when she passed away, my mother brought out all these pictures and uh, things that were hers. And she told all these stories. And I was like, I wish I would have known that when she was here. I wish I would have known her. It is um, understanding uh, your mother, your grandmother, also Mother Nature. I, th- I think that's like the relationship with Mother Nature, the relationship with our mothers. I think we're so stuck in in the binary with those things, whether we love or we hate or we're angry or we're happy with, et cetera. And I think- yeah coming into a place where we're allowed to have a nuanced complexity of I have anger or I have had anger in regards to a lot of the way that my early relationship with my mother played out, for example. And I also have a huge amount of love, respect, gratitude, et cetera. Like both of those things, all of those things are, are allowed. And, and how, how big could the expansiveness of our relationships get if we, didn't feel as though we had to pick a side if it if we didn't feel as though we had to stay inside of like the one emotion of it like oh I've got a bad relationship with my mother I'm angry at my mother it's like well you know can we can we move beyond that I think there's there's a secondary thing in regards to mother that I think is really important to to mention is that like inside of what I would call the like quad of female initiations which is you know maiden mother autumn queen crone they match with the seasons 
Um, mother is on the younger end of that, the, the more immature, quote unquote, immature end of that um, uh, quadrant. And so when we talk about like a lot of us, it's very, it's very popular these days to talk about the mother wound. This is a very young woman. Yeah. You know, we, we you know, I, I can't tell you how many people I, I work with, you know, you know, in their fifties, in their sixties, who are, who are talking about, you know, my mother did this, my mother did this. I'm like, she was 30. Yeah. Yeah. She was 30 years old. Like, can we expand? Yes. She did that. Yes. It was harmful. Yes. It was, you know, and can we understand that there is an evolution that is, that is such a young woman. We, 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 we place mother out, out of all of the quad. We like place mother on this, on this kind of pedestal as like the completion of a woman that that's the totality of a woman. That's a very young woman yeah. who's doing her best, who's working hard, who's offering so much of herself to, to the various creations in her life. And, and can we allow ourselves to expand into like, what will she look like and what kind of wisdom and, and offerings is she able to give if we allow her to grow into autumn queen, into crone, into wisdom and, and not be held to those, ways that she was in the world at 25 years old at 31 years old I mean that's it that is a really young woman yeah and that that's that's great perspective and that, that yeah. young woman yeah is is dealing with like her mom and her ways and her mom and her ways <laughs> it, and her it all compounds it, it all compounds right? yeah right yeah. yeah. And we're, yeah. It, I just, everything you say, I'm like, I could sit here and listen to you talk all day. It's like therapeutic. Hour. Yes. <laughs> um, Steph, it has been such a joy to speak to mm-hmm. you. Um, can you tell the listeners where they can find you and how they can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So in the tangible 3D dimensions <laughs> that we live in, you can find me uh, uh, on my website, stephjagger.com. You can find me on Instagram at stephjagger. You can find my books, you know, really anywhere. Uh, I love when people reach out to their local independent bookstores and, and ask them to carry the books. That's always a huge, huge help to myself and other authors. Um, quite literally, you can find me on the trails or occasionally still on a ski hill, etc. And, and I really do encourage people to reach out. I'm, I think it's really easy for us to kind of think, oh, that's someone I can't like, like genuinely I'm a human on the other side here and I probably will respond. You know? I love so, that. Yeah. Um, so I really do encourage people to reach out if things have touched them. I think so much of a part of how we move through this world is how we, how we make connections. And, and so I, I encourage people to do that. Thank you for writing these books. Cause, um, mm-hmm. I wrote in them, but I'm still going to pass them on to my friends so they can read them. And just again, how much I related to it. And Mm -hmm. as an adventurer, any adventurer who loves just, and because you traveled the world uh, as a woman uh, by yourself, it's just amazing. And the way you write it is just brilliant and very digestible. And it really is, especially Unbound, it's very inspiring. Like after I read that, I was like, oh, I'm ready to do something now. I'm ready yeah. to go, you know? So um, uh, are, are you planning on writing another book? Is there something else coming out? There's more books in me. There's some partially written. Get them out. Um, and I'm, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm really, it's interesting. It's, I, I'm not feeling, uh, I'm, I'm paying a very distinct level of attention to the timing. Like, yeah. Does this feel as though it's got momentum and urgency or, or am I trying to pull this forward too quickly? Like I just am, I'm really, um, taking my, taking my time with yeah. them. Just trying to listen. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, for, for, you know, a reciprocal, thank you. I mean, for, for you to bring on obviously, you know, people who are in the outdoors and doing, you know, big adventures, which, which both of my books, um, are especially unbound, but also, you know, to take somebody who has early stage Alzheimer's on a road trip is that's an adventure. Yep. It's an adventure. Yeah. It's just such gratitude for, for allowing a conversation to expand, you know, our adventuring, you know, physically and in the outdoors is, is a mirror, I believe of of the adventuring that we allow internally. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just so grateful for this conversation because it just felt like we got to talk about both, which is my favorite thing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Diane and I are very like, we, we get in these kinds of conversations, which is why we kind of wanted to start a podcast and talk about things that sometimes you may not get other places where they're just, a lot of it is more of like the physical, logical aspects of things. And as humans, we are so much more than that. And so, yeah. yeah, this was just a fantastic conversation. I know the listeners will be getting something out of it. And it was just so great to have you on. It was awesome to talk with you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Well, thank you, guys. Special thank you to Sawyer Products for sponsoring this episode. This was a lot of fun. And to our listeners, we will see you next week on Bush and Banter. Goodbye. Goodbye.